<laughs> Ask the Expert. Um, it's a brief, informative, and lively, lively discussion with experts in the type 1 diabetes and related interdisciplinary research. We're recording this event. We're going to post it on the Sugar Science site YouTube channel shortly after the presentation. If you have any questions for our guest, Elliot Botvinick, please feel free to enter them in the chat or raise your hand at the end of the presentation. And today we have as our guest, Elliot Botvinick, coming from, uh, to us uh, from UC Irvine. And he is um, has recently just developed something called iGlobe, which is insulin plus glucose plus lactate plus oxygen, plus beta hydroxybutyrate uh, life strip. So this is like a monitor that's using light and chemistry to provide sensing um, capabilities for multiple analytes, which can be critical for controlling blood glucose and you know basically detecting any hypos. So um, really interested to hear from him. And um, yeah, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of uh, your sort of, you know, how you got to create this iGlobe and what's exciting about it and yeah happy to yeah this project started with actually a request from the military from combat casualty care and we made a continuous lactate monitor to um, indicate internal bleeding uh, essentially and uh, JDRF caught wind of it and asked if I can measure glucose on the same technology and cool. we said probably um, and it turned out that, that worked and then they, they funded us to do a glucose lactate lactate exercise study, which is three exercise types, and to see if lactate signals during exercise can predict glucose levels, you know, an hour and a half, two hours later, you know, to feed back to a pump, essentially. Yeah. And then that evolved in, into iGlobe. Um, okay, fantastic. And then how, sort of how long, what was that sort of trajectory there? Um, Time-wise? Yeah. It's been a while. The lactate sensor part took, I'm guessing, four years or so. I don't remember the exact dates. Yeah. And then adding glucose took a couple of years, and the pandemic shut us down in terms of the clinical, so no clinical study. Yeah. And then iGlobe just funded in in January. Fantastic. Um. So did you want to, um, you know, share a couple slides sure. today? I'd be happy to. So I'll, I'll launch into slideshow. I'll be brief. A pre-request. Uh, again, I'm professor of bioengineering and surgery. This is the LifeStrip team. Um, so John Weidling is a senior scientist. He and I basically run the lab together. He's been with me for a decade, and hopefully he'll never leave. So I have to give him credit for everything you're seeing. And this is just a super good team. Uh, Avid left my lab. It must have been about a year ago. Now he works for Dexcom as an engineer. And this is the team. I'm going to talk a little bit about our infusion technology. And this is with Ali Moraz's group in chemical engineering and material sciences. Uh, Luciano, maybe some of you know him. His son, Caden, has type 1. He's very, very involved in the community. So quickly, I'll discuss our monitoring technology, which we now call iGlobe. Um, someone at Helmsley, I don't know if you guys know Sean Sullivan, he calls it Loki. Yes, we do. No. <laughs> okay. So he, of course you guys know him. He calls it Loki. <laughs> And then we have our infusion system. His son is very into comics, I understand. So this is kind of what we invented. And you have a part that's flexible. And it being flexible is that now is actually funded by the military. And a little sliver goes under the skin. It's just like a CGM, like a Dexcom in terms of form factor. And on it, we have little pads. And each pad measures a different analyte. And the way we design the technology, we can just keep adding more pads. Mm. And as we have been doing. Right. Um, and so to date, 
Um, glucose, PO2, and lactate have been used in the clinic. Um, and so what iGlobe funds are these analytes. And insulin sensing is in collaboration with Professor Gregory Weiss from chemistry. This guy's a genius. So he's working on what molecule can sense insulin uh, by binding it specifically and then immediately letting go of it. It's actually a very hard challenge. Yeah. That way you have, so you have a two-way sensor. We've just enabled pH and we have previously enabled calcium. Uh, CO2 comes for free when you have pH. Nice. So we're doing that. And this is basically what it looks like. Um, this fiber comes under and we use optics to probe chemical reactions. We are to date, we are not using light to directly measure. In my hands, electrodes don't work well. Clearly they work well, but not in my hands. So we moved to, to optics and it turns out we decided to put a detector on the surface of the skin just to make the device smaller. And there's a very narrow window of wavelengths that will pass through highly pigmented skin. So we put um, dyes on these pads. This is not always true for some of our analytes. Okay? That you flash an LED, for example, which is sitting under this red film. The red film emits light and we look at the time decay. It tells us something about the analyte. And we just turn each LED on one at a time and they all use a dye that emits in this wavelength. So this can get through really darkly pigmented skin. Let me know if you have questions. Just interrupt, please. Because uh, I'm trying to make this brief. Um, we, can, we can revisit these. This is how small it is. This is a number two pencil lead, kind of slightly out of focus. And this is our device. And you, you can see there's two light emitting diodes covered in a film right here. And uh, we draw green as the skin. So for the clinical study, we invented this insertion system that comes through. It's actually a little more advanced now, but we haven't filed the intellectual property, so I'm not going to show it to you. But this really captures, oops, that really captures well our homemade, rather effective insertion system. Our device is actually a flexible circuit made from implant grade materials. So all the action is happening at the tip. At the back end, you see electrical connections. So mm -hmm. once this gets inserted, the needle gets pulled out and then a recording unit plugs in and makes electrical contact. Currently it's cabled, but as part of iGlobe, we are most likely gonna make it wireless. Um, we'll see when we see. It's actually pretty trivial to make it wireless. So, I mean, Elliot, are you imagining that this would be an add-on to like a Dexcom, or is this um, gonna be a, a separate um, needle, a separate insert? This, we hope to replace CGMs. Very nice. Um, and I should mention the beta-hydroxybutyrate, I'm sure everyone knows, it, it's the ketone that people worry about, you know, for mm -hmm. ketoacidosis. Yeah. And we're not alone. There's some really exciting work from other groups in measuring ketones and glucose. I'm happy to report. So we've, done, we've tested the lactate version, the lactate oxygen version of this in three countries, including here at UCI, and it's working pretty well. Okay, we've done over 46 mm -hmm. subjects so far. And this is an exercise, this is basically spin class. Uh, they do iterative sprints on the bike and pedaling pretty hard in between. So you can see we actually capture some of these dynamics during the spin class type exercise. And then we can see the lactate being cleared. I like this graph on the top right. This is a very competitive athlete um, pedaling hard. The purple bars are sprints. So you can see the first sprint blood lactate doesn't really go up. Then it clears. Okay. 
Second sprint right afterwards, it climbs. Third sprint, it climbs again. You can see a clearing, fourth sprint, another climb. So we're hypothesizing that there's information in these dynamic signals that will predict their, your metabolic state and thus blood glucose you know, an hour and a half, two hours after the exercise. So the hypothesis, the hypothesis we're testing in our clinical study, which is funded and hopefully will start soon. I mean, COVID has caused so much delay. It's just the hypothesis is that continuous lactate signals can predict glucose trends in the hours after exercise. So it's a four visit study where there's an initial visit to measure PO2 max or VO2 max. And then there's three randomly uh, scrambled different intensity exercises. Um, and anyway, this is it. So we basically in red is a lactate signal. This is a cartoon and we want to know what glucose trends we may see after the exercise. Um, Michael Rydell and Jabe helped us design the study. And again, we have 12 subjects, four visits, three exercise types and subjects will be pump wares, um, uh, CGM wares, and we're going to collect all of those signals. Okay. Um, the other technology in the, in the last few minutes is with my good collaborator and ski buddy, Ali Moraz in chemical engineering. Um, he has material called a bigel templated material that I can talk about if, uh, during Q&A. It's kind of like a sponge. He'll kill me for calling it a sponge. And it has constant curvature everywhere you are inside of this. And a, a pore size that's about constant everywhere. It's actually quite narrowly distributed. Who gives it? Who cares, right? So Buddy Ratner and James Brocker hypothesized in the 90s, I think it was, that curvature will instruct macrophage phenotype that can promote vasculature and kind of fend off the fibrotic response. His material exactly conforms to their theory in a three-dimensional context. Wow. And here you can see, and it's, it's formed spontaneously. Um, here it is and shown in red, okay, for some reason. And this is it sticking out of a, a Medtronic infusion set. And you can just see the sponge emanating it. And if you look carefully, you can see noodles. I call this the bundle of worms. That's the solid phase. The pore phase looks exactly the same. Okay? And here it is under electron uh, microscopy. But what's important is that it works. You know, So this is a tissue interface here. These, these blood vessels are, so here's 50 micron scale bar. We have large blood vessels surrounded by pericytes. So these are mature, you know, like mature blood vessels penetrating pretty deep into the material. And for those of you familiar, familiar with macrophages, um, so we have a CD206 positive stain, I think it's shown in red, and green is the F480 pan macrophage label. And we find that most of the macrophages are in the supposed M2 prohealing phenotype, right? And this is just a scatter plot of um, the, where the numerator is the prohealing and the, the denominator are all the detected macrophages. And we kind of see they seem to hug these curvatures. Oops. And we're not sure what that means. We have a student who's trying to understand mathematically how curvature may be affecting these cells, but it seems to be happy. Um, something we didn't expect to occur, but we're very happy occurred is this thing prevents kinking. So when we fill the infusion set with this material, um, you actually can't kink it, right? So the tip, which is off screen, is bent to 90 degrees. And the Medtronic, this is not a ding on Medtronic, the Medtronic silhouette kinks, and uh, we, we didn't. Um, and the last slide is 
at the end of this study, we're going to work with Jeffy Joseph at Thomas Jefferson University to do a PKPD study in PIG, where we're going to do a two-week implant study with this device. So our goal is to work for two weeks. What I neglected to say, and I apologize, is for the iGlobe project, that ends in a clinical study with David O'Neill at the University of Melbourne. And okay, sorry, that is the my attempt to do a rapid <laughs> fire presentation of all the great. Okay. No, that's really good. And, and so yeah, so let's let's see if we can see if we can um, get some feedback from people. Um, I see that Ekaterine uh, Bershvili Bernie is here, and I'd love to hear her impression. Or um, Jeming is here. Henrik, I think. Well, first of all, congratulations. These are, I mean, you've really kind of iced the cake here with this, with this eye globe, um, because that's one of the biggest, as everyone knows, that's one of the biggest challenges is trying to get the exercise that you need for type one diabetes in without sort of like after complications of highs and lows. So if this can actually be predictive or, you know, help people in management, you know, um, of their exercise is going to be huge. Yeah, I hope so. And, yeah. And also, sorry, Mark, I forgot to mention we're looking for a postdoc in chemistry or chemical engineering, like for immediate hire. If you guys, if anyone here is that person or is aware of that person, we'll put another blast out on our. Um, okay, thanks. Amplify that for you. Yeah. Because, um, and so that's a chemist. And what project are they going to, would they be working on? Um, well, the iGlobe. Mm -hmm. For that matter, if anyone knows a good mechanical engineer, we, we could use them for the infusion set. Okay. And then, so the, that's going to be for the iGlobe. Cool. And then what about, um, you know, the timeline for the study with, uh, uh, is it David O'Neill? Yeah, so that is in year three of the study where year one started January 1st of this year. Okay, so great. that'll be, I believe that starts uh, midway through year three. Yeah. And so, okay, so it's like a three-year thing. And then, you know, then it should be hopefully coming to market. What do you, um, in terms of the infusion site, mm -hmm. um, what you're learning there with those materials seems like it might translate into other opportunities too. Oh, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah, for sure. Um, that seems really interesting. Uh, maybe right. it could even be like an eyelid transplant uh, opportunity. Yeah, that is, that's being explored. Um, yeah. I'm not being secretive, but it's being, it's being explored. Um, yeah. Um, and so, and I love that, uh, you know, I love, I love this whole new um, understanding of uh, what's happening with those macrophages. That's really interesting. Yeah, we were quite su pleasantly surprised. It's neat when something that's theorized, you know, can be works and can be shown. Yeah, and you reached back into whatever, the literature, I guess, or the yeah. knowledge base and pulled something out to try that really works. So Yeah, the work is quite striking. I encourage everyone to look it up. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I will. We'll we'll blast that paper out too. And maybe you could like drop it in the, uh, drop okay. it off to me or um, by email. And it would be interesting to think about that in other contexts. Mm -hmm. um, does anyone else have any questions? Uh, Allison has her hand up, I see. Oh yeah, go ahead. 
Hi. Yeah, I had a, a question about the eye globe, and I know you emphasized the detection of um, the lactate, but I was wondering about the beta hydroxybutyrate and um, the correlation between those levels and the blood glucose level, because I know um, that the ketone bodies can be affected by a multitude of factors. Um, and I'm wondering how you isolated and, and came up with that um, blood glucose correlation. Um, so I'm not really claiming a correlation, at least not yet until the study's done. As of now, it's more of an alarm, uh, you know, DKA alarm. But I do think it'll, it'll have value in a closed loop system. I just don't have any data to support that statement. But it is data that we plan to acquire. That's great. Okay, got it. Thanks. But I'm all ears. <laughs> if you have thoughts, I would love to hear them. Yeah, I was... I studied bioengineering in undergrad and um, worked on a project that was trying to isolate blood or basically correlate blood ketone levels with breath um, ketone levels, which is oh, yeah. also linked to uh, beta hydroxybutyrate. So there were some issues with the accuracy, but um, we also used it more as an alarm system for DKA rather than a blood glucose um, correlation. So. Exactly. Well, if you want to meet offline, I'd be very, very interested in doing that. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Henrik, would you like to jump in? Yes. So I'd love to. This is super exciting. This is brilliant. Um, so uh, so you, you mentioned that you, you were hoping maybe this could replace the, the CGMs today, this technology. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, like uh, accuracy, uh, the, like the, the biggest problems today with CGMs uh, or the CGMs we're using at least, uh, is um, it's very um, different from time to time. You know, you know the, how accurate it is is very different for every, every time you, you, you put it on. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, problems like compression lows, you know, they're sleeping on the, on the sensor, uh, causes problems, you know, like lows that wake you up in the middle of the night, those kinds of things. Uh, do you think that these things are going to be able to handle that better? You have more stable hmm. accuracy? Uh, okay. In terms of compression and maybe cutting off the local flow, I don't know how that can be solved in the subcutaneous or dermal space, to be frank. Uh, yeah. We, to date, I mean, I can't show all of our data, but our films are very stable to date. Um, that being said, I think Dexcom's product is incredible. I'm not just saying that because my former trainee works there. <laughs> I, I mean, there, I, I honestly think that what I would call an improvement is additional analytes. Yeah. Um, I feel like they nailed glucose, uh, you know, kudos to them. And I, I think bringing the cost down through things like, you know, batch calibration is another important direction where CGMs are going in. And I suspect they're working on that. Maybe the G7 has already solved that problem. I don't know. I'm guessing. Oh. What do you think about putting more than one wire into your body? Is that going to be a matter of cost or? Um, I'm, you, you mean more, more than one implant? Yeah. I so so I, just to give you some background. So my daughter's been in a trial and she's carrying two Dexcoms at the same time. And mm. they're lifting quite much from time to time. You know, like two to three millimole per liter units. Uh, and I was thinking like having two, wow. maybe you can correlate with data and to get more stable. Because if you want to go to... Uh, artificial pancreases and, and, you know, looping systems, those numbers are quite important. Uh, you know, like 40, whatever you count in US, the, the units for blood glucose. Yeah, that's a striking difference. 
Um, you know, a lot of that, I think ultimately the healthcare providers or the self hackers will have to, to make some of those decisions. Um, I, I, you know, the, the, the effect of the tissue too, right? It's not just the sensor. Right. I, I would suspect Dexcom sensors in solution are incredibly uh, self-similar, I would guess. Right. But the body, yeah, I don't have a good answer to your question that the body, the body obviously is going to be different site to site. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know it hurts, but intramuscular is a very interesting place to go as well. I think if someone can solve that problem, it'll be very, uh, it'll, it'll be a notch of improvement in that area. It just hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I've done okay. it by accident doing construction. It's quite painful. <laughs> well, what if, um, you know, when you talked about sort of like this skin tone issue that was solved um, because it's, you know, you have your optics involved. What, you know, that is an issue, I think, in terms of like some of the CGMs, um, maybe even with Apple, you know, trying to like deal with different skin tones and the, uh, and the, and the detection of the different um, analytes. Or, I mean, even if, you know, someone gets a, out in the sun and they get a dark tan and things change for them. I mean, how is that? Can you just sort of like dive into that a little more? You, you do oh yeah, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy. I'm happy to. And I'll say that I'm standing on the shoulders here of, of some fantastic scientists in the photonics world and the chemistry world. So we don't actually look at the intensity of the light in a, in a steady state or a DC. Right? So there's two things we need, we need to achieve. One is we need to be able to turn the light off incredibly quickly, which we do electronically. And then we have to collect enough photons to the skin. So that optical window gets through highly pigmented skin. And we look at the decay of the light and the shape of that decay, not how bright it is. So if you do get a tan, right, or this goes into someone with very dark skin, it, it won't affect the accuracy because we look at the lifetime decay parameter, which is intensity independent for the most part. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. It does. It definitely does. I think it's... Um... I think it's really, I think it's great. I mean, I wonder if it could be, I mean, you can just imagine it could be applied in other places too. What about this whole idea of like, you know, there's there's these micro needles, you know, that technology. Is there any chance to apply your technology onto sort of a micro needle oh, definitely. platform? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, we haven't done it just because we chose a direction that we think is a good direction. But when you look at our chemistry and our photonics, it'll take some engineering, but I don't think, um, I think it's possible to do with a micro needle array. Yeah, because instead of just sort of one needle with all the analytics, analytes on it uh, in a row, you could imagine maybe you could have just like a pin cushion, you know, approach smaller, but with yeah, different, one per, one per, Needle, micro needle. Yeah, I think ultimately what we'll learn as micro needles hopefully get commercialized is how well the dermis really helps with blood glucose control. Mm. You know, when a, when a million people, I don't, don't know the answer. When a million people are using it in the field, is that tissue space good? Um, I am reluctant to say yes, but I have no reason to say no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah. Well, maybe someone like T1D Exchange can um, get those populations, clinical populations, rounded up quickly for and ready to go for when Certainly you hope do so. that. Yeah, they're, they're, they've been a great resource as far as we've been seeing. seeing. 
Um, is there anyone else who'd like to ask anything more to Elliot? Uh, do you want to tout the wonderful area of Irvine <laughs> to en entice your uh, your postdoc? What's oh, going on down oh there that's God. really exciting? Look, we're, Irvine's awesome. We're right by the beach. Um, my wife and I went to Disneyland yesterday for the first time since 20, since 2000, actually. Great. Uh, that's close by. If you have kids, it's a safe place. It's got good restaurants, which for me is pretty important. And uh, it's just a bit of a chill place to live if you're tired of being in a dense city. Uh, we're yeah. also in the top 10 uh, U.S. public universities by U.S. Yeah. News and World Report. Yeah, <laughs> another feature. And I think it's a really robust place for diabetes research down there. I mean, you've oh, got yeah. the neighboring uh, right down the road really is the SOC and you've got, you know, UCSD, you've got UC Irvine. And that's a nice little cluster of um, sort of rich um, centers for diabetes work. So yeah, you got a lot going on there. And Dexcom and Medtronic are in opposite directions. Medtronic diabetes, but they're both about an hour and a half drive from Irvine. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, one more question. How does the lactate curve and its relation to blood glucose levels one to two hours post-exercise vary between patients? Allison, that is precisely the question we hope to answer that COVID put the delay on. We have the devices built, we'll have to rebuild them, but that is precisely the study. So Mike Rydell and David O'Neill actually approached me with their data. Um, in fact, we just finished a large study with both of them that will be written up where lactate was measured intermittently, not continuously. And uh, actually, if I can, do I have 10 seconds to show a yeah, slide that I, that no, I skipped? Yeah, definitely do. Okay to answer your question. This is not my data. So this is this is for a public lecture, so I apologize for the cartooniness of it. Okay. But uh, this is a great study where people did a spin type, so it's, it's interval high intensity exercise versus what I call beach cruiser. Right. <laughs> okay, and what they found was, this is change in blood glucose. Subjects came in at about 11 millimolar on average, and the gray bar is the exercise duration. So again, black dots is like a spin class, white dots is a uh, beach cruiser. So you'll note that uh, the people doing spin class, right, they are actually still hyperglycemic, right, at the end of the, you know, 90 minutes later. And um, the other group is now normal glycemic. So what should the pump do, obviously, right? So heart rate does move with exercise intensity. It's incredibly nonspecific, right? Lots of things can make your heart rate change. Like for example, I have a slight arrhythmia. Uh, it can change rather independent of my exercise. But the data really shows that there might be information in lactate that can help maybe predict which one of these two trajectories that, that you're going to go down. And wow. This was the inspiration for the study. And then uh, Mike Rydell has a piece I highly recommend that you read, uh, which is this uh, consensus piece. Really good paper. And it talks about all the complications um, in predicting glucose trends whether you're doing aerobic, anaerobic, or most people exercise in a mixed modality, right? And so I, I highly recommend you read this paper. It, yeah. it goes a long way to answer your question. Great, I definitely will. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, Elliot, this was fantastic. Um, we're gonna now blast this out to share with everyone um, in our community and, and across the globe and hopefully um, this will spark new ideas and collaborations with um, others and gain you a new postdoc. 
So yeah, send me good people and come visit. We are, we have a pretty open lab. If you're in the area, shoot me an email, we'll give you a tour. We will do. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. And keep up the great work. <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. Thank you so much. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.